December 1st to December 25th, Round Trees Museum and Restaurant sponsors a toy and food drive to benefit Katrina evacuees living in the Bay Area. Call 510-830-5383 to schedule your donation at the museum located at 2618 San Pablo Avenue in Berkeley, California. Again, that's 510-830-5383. And you're listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, or 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, or online at kpfa.org. The time is 3 p.m. Up next is Cover to Cover Open Book. Stay with us. Today on Cover to Cover, we'll hear the Hula Lesson, Part 1. Girls in grass skirts and coconut bras. That's what tourists see at a Hawaiian luau. But hula dancing is actually an ancient cultural art, which teaches its people about their history. And it has a great deal to teach the rest of us as well. As I discovered in the hula lesson. You have hands, you have feet, you have bodily movement, and you can manipulate all of that to say certain things. It's a combination of ballet, opera, history, and the oral tradition. Hula has really been at the core of our life. You know, the values and the music, the love for the poetry. It's become a grounding force in our life. Hula is a way of life. That is the one label that I can define hula. It's a way of life. lesson. I'm Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. My great, great grand uncle had a vision that I would be on a hill and people would be listening to me as a teacher. So is it fate? I don't know. My mind's eye creates pictures of palm fronds waving above beautiful brown-skinned women who move gracefully to Hawaiian melodies. But when I was in Hawaii, I found a hula school that didn't fit this stereotype. On the small, lush Hawaiian island of Kauai, Roselle Bailey teaches the art of the hula dance. Her students are women of all colors who come from all corners of the earth. You have to act as a unit all together. That means you have to know what you're doing. 
Patty and I worked on a selection of songs. So we'll all do Emma Nono and Eloa Amai. Those two are for sure. You can be loud and intimate too, you know. Ei yau e rata, tamata mata aha i wahine, wahine toi puata na here here. Horurei o e rata, e rata e, e rata e. Amari mai oe. It's still intimate. But it's loud. <laughs> Roselle's school is made up almost exclusively of non-Hawaiians, or Howleys. In Hawaiian, the word Howley is slang for foreigner, especially a white person. Okay, so everybody who has plants, a branch or a flower or whatever, will all say wahoiau together, loud enough so the people can hear. All people with lays will say hakipu together and then do their individual lay in English. I wondered, why do these Howley women in Roselle's school want to learn hula? Why does Roselle want to teach them? And why am I, another Howley in Hawaii, also drawn to the hula dance? Hula as life is a practice of acknowledging the physical world, the spiritual world, the emotional world, and the ancestors who've gone before us and the progeny that is to come after us. So we set a solid cornerstone and platform for them to dance, the dance of life. The volcanic mountain of Waialeale dominates the island of Kauai. Starting out at the beach town of Keikaha, I head up the mountain to Kokei State Park. A narrow, winding road takes me from the open, flat, and arid coast into forests of eucalyptus, bamboo, guava. Rising through the trees, I'm almost at the top of the mountain when Waimea Canyon comes into view. It is as deep as the Grand Canyon, but covered in green, cut by immense waterfalls. It takes my breath away. In fact, the view is so distracting that it's easy to miss the turnoff for the little red dirt road that leads me through the park to two small wooden cabins. It's here that I find Roselle's Halau, or hula school. A simple, small cabin, and a smaller cabin. Wooden, plantation-style bungalows, painted green with red tin roofs. They're surrounded by a grassy yard that is holding back the forest on all sides. When I arrive, the sun is beating down on me. But at any minute, the weather can turn up here as clouds, rain, and thunder envelop this idyllic haven. The core of the Halau is eight to ten women who gather several times a year at this spot. These students are themselves hula teachers who've been returning here year after year, most of them since the 70s, to work with a master hula dancer. Roselle is a woman of many names, reflecting the many aspects of her life. The full name is Roselle Flora Kili'ihonipua. 
My married name is Bailey. My maiden name is Lindsay. It's important to know my maiden name because it tells you where I'm from. One of those names is her Hawaiian name, Kali'i Honepua, meaning the princess who drinks from the honey flower. The princess who kisses flowers or smells flowers, right? Or the princess who is kissed by her flowers, or the princess who kisses the honey flower. Did someone name you? It's been in the family. My mother has that name. My grandmother had that name. <laughs> and what you are called by your students is Kumu. That's what they call me. And what does Kumu mean? It means the source. And in this instance, it's the source of hula. Kumu is a trunk of a tree. The trunk of the tree is the life of the branches and the leaves and the seeds that sprout again from that tree. When I first got an invitation to visit Roselle's school, I assumed that we would be the only white women there. I pictured us among a group of real-deal Native Hawaiian women. We even talked about how to be as unobtrusive as possible, how to be culturally sensitive, how to blend in. So, when I get to the halau, I'm pretty surprised to find a group of mostly white-skinned women. This is definitely not what I had expected. Born in New York of Jewish parents, Russian-Romanian-Austrian-Italian roots, went from New York to California to Oahu. My name is Cheryl Suzanne Ogawa Ho. I am of full Japanese ancestry. I am actually fourth generation, or Yonsei, as they say in Japanese-American culture. And so it was great. I was born in Missouri. I'm German, Irish, Italian. I came to Hawaii as an adult. I'm Japanese and Chinese. I'm born and raised in Hawaii. I was raised in New York. My grandparents came over from the uh, Slavic Ukraine area. My mom discovered Kauai in the early 60s, and I moved over here when I was 17. I was born and raised here. I'm Filipino. Born in California, American mutt. Ancestors came from various parts of Eastern and Western Europe. Too numerous to name. And me? I'm also a non-Hawaiian woman drawn to hula with a passionate interest that I can't quite name. Both sides of my family are white Anglo-Saxon Protestant. The family Bible traces our genealogy back to the colonial founding fathers. But like anyone else whose family has been here that long, my ancestors include practically every nationality and ethnicity. My early years were spent growing up in Nova Scotia, where simply the fact of being Americans made us outsiders. As an adult, I ended up living in Hawaii for nine years. Both my kids were born on the Big Island. I never studied hula, but I saw a lot of it. And I understood early on how the dance was intimately entwined with the culture, language, lifestyle of the islands. It got to me on a gut level. The women in Roselle's Halau look as eclectic as their backgrounds suggest. Cheryl is five feet with straight black hair. Hayui must be six feet tall. 
Tattoos cover her arms and legs, long braids scroll down her back. Lenny is petite with curly blonde hair and looks younger than her 52 years. Jessie has deep set dark eyes. She wears makeup and is fashionably dressed. While Keahi wears big glasses and tends towards t-shirts emblazoned with political slogans. As a group, they create a mosaic of shapes and styles. You, flex foot, please, flex foot. Are you all ready? Roselle herself, however, looks classically Hawaiian. A fine-boned nose and high cheekbones and a broad face ringed with kinky dark hair. She has a quiet presence, which somehow takes up the entire room. She can be funny, introverted, bossy. She commands the complete attention of her students without lording over them. Let's do it again. Go to your right. It's a pivot. Just turn a little bit and get in position. It's okay. And don't jump up. Stay low on the knees. The hand on the top on the OO is the hand that goes up. Somebody come show here. The height of the dancer for us an ueke. That's an ueke. Now the height of an uehe, low and it's a wider, actually should be a wider stance. <laughs> yes, thank you. She can get lower with yeah. wider. <laughs> Instead of going to the back with the elbow, it's to the side. You know, you're elbowing as I can use somebody. Okay, are you ready? Turn to your right. Okay, are you ready? The group spreads out across the lawn to work on the physical movements for a dance. Their rhythmic, sensuous motions look like they belong on younger, perfectly shaped bodies. But this dance clearly belongs to them. Roselle's students, who've been hula teachers themselves for so many years, move with grace and self-assurance. There's a primal connection with earth and sky that's evident in their motion. Bare feet are always in touch with the ground. Arms become an extension of the air. And the natural elements so present around them seem to channel their energy. As one woman explained it to me, you watch the ocean roll in and roll out, and you learn how to use your hips. You watch the canoe sail from one island to another, and you learn how to use your feet. You watch the palm trees blow, and you learn how to use your hands. Okay, that was a little rusty. When you're coming up to down, the tendency is to bring it in towards your body. Keep the arm extended the same distance all the way through, fingers into the ground, and then into the body. Did you say you wanted to do it again? <laughs> so you have hands, you have face, you have bodily movement, you have feet, you have levels, and you can manipulate all of that to say certain things. So that's the beauty. It's a combination of ballet, opera, history, and the oral tradition. Hula is much more than music and movement. Each dance tells a story. Stories that draw from the intertwined worlds of Hawaiian history, religion, and mythology. 
Today, Roselle's class is working on a dance about planting kalo, or taro, the most important food in the traditional Hawaiian diet. I huki ke kalo. Learning the dance's chants and its movements are all important, but the lessons go deeper. Huki ke kalo, huki huki mai. Huki ke kalo, huki huki mai. Okay, ready to roll. Let's go. So the fourth song is Huki Kikalo. Pulling the taro. Okay, what's the story of the taro? Uh, Papa and Wakia had a son, their firstborn son, and they named him Hanua, and he was stillborn. And so they buried him near their hale, and from that place sprouted the first Kalo, right. and then they had another son. And the second child was born live. Mm-hmm. So human is the younger brother to the taro. Which speaks to the inherent relationship between humanity and Kalo or taro, their staple food. So culturally, it is our obligation to take care of the taro because the taro then takes care of us by feeding us. So in Hawaiian family life, the firstborn is a very important person in the family. The students look up the Hawaiian definition of words, such as taro, to better understand the story they're telling through dance and song. Treat as a firstborn. Taro is food, sustenance, grows in the earth, underground, and above ground lives and perpetuates, grows in the water, staple for food, nourishment, strength, growth. The taro is the keeper of the family, so he is the older brother. And if you have business discussions or family fights at the table when his calabash is open, he will be angry, his eyes will turn red. You should cover the bowl if you're going to do that. So there's a chanting part of the tarot. The essence of the song says, Hawaiian, stand up and take a stand and be proud of who you are and remember who you are to recall the past. But most of the women in Roselle's school did not grow up eating taro. Their childhood stories were not those of Kalo, the taro brother, and his human sibling. Why are these women intent upon learning the Hawaiian stories? What drew them to Roselle's school? I had moved from Chicago, and I went to a brown bag's ho'olaulea. was held on the lawn of the Kauai County building in Lihue. And I saw this performance by Roselle and some of the young people of the Halau. And it was just so beautiful. And it spoke to me. It was just so beautiful. And I said to myself, oh, you know, someday I want to dance like that. And then in the fall, I made arrangements to start attending classes. I was always looking for some kind of dance. 
I wanted tap dancing and ballet, and there was nothing. <laughs> and then Mrs. Bailey moved to Kauai. I was on the swim team. Her daughter swam, and we found out she can teach hula. <laughs> My sister came here, and I came to visit her, and she and some of her friends were in the beginning class. They said, oh, you have to come to hula. And I was only supposed to stay for three weeks, but I joined the class and stayed till the end of the year. <laughs> the first time I danced hula, I said to myself, I've been waiting all of my life for this. It fits me, and I just never stopped studying. I saw Roselle Talao perform, and I followed the dancers off stage. I was entranced and enthralled. I don't remember how I actually found my way. It's just like I woke up in her class one day. <laughs> I was born and reared on the island of Maui in the town of Lahaina. My mom danced. My great-great-granduncle danced. And my uh, first teacher was Auntie Emma Sharp. How old were you when you decided to start studying? I didn't decide anything. It was decided for me. Oh, okay. At age four, I was enrolled in hula with Auntie Emma. I don't know if children have choices today at that age. We didn't. We were sent to do whatever our parents or elders, the kupuna, wanted us to do. Then after a certain point, the awareness and realization happens. Then training really starts when one's awareness opens up. May I ask how long you have been dancing? Over 60 years. I can't separate hula from Roselle. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Our daughters grew up dancing before they were even born. <laughs> As part of their integration into the dance, Roselle has given all her students Hawaiian names. My Hawaiian hula name, in other words, the name given to me by Roselle as a dancer, is Hi'ipoi Ke Aloha o Kalani Ki'e Ki'e Lo Loa. One day when I walked into class, That's I think it was I'm my third year, walked in, yeah. Yeah, I walked in the door and you said, You're Hi'u'i o Nalani, the beauty of the heavens. Yeah, I remember that. Well, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Still trying to live up to it. <laughs> Roselle's Halal specializes in the old, traditional dances. The chants that define these dances sound surprising to an American ear. They can surprise the tongue as well. Let's try Eulu one more time as a unit. <laughs> Sounds like I need to go one by one. I'll volunteer. Okay. I'll teach you your cookie. All right. I said I could do it with a cookie, Mom, this thing, Mom, but. Okay. You don't need to really hold your lips like that. What you need to do is to be able to block the air passage partially in through your nose. Upper, upper palate. <laughs> For me, when I do my EE, I open here. 
But to get that yeah, yeah, yeah. up here, yeah. I'm having a contradiction of bodily function. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It feels like that. Ready? Two, three, four. One thing I pick up right away is a feeling of comfort and friendship within this diverse collection of women. They cook, eat, and sleep together up here. They treat each other like sisters. And like sisters, they don't always get along. The one constant through line, however, is a sense of real pleasure among these women in what they're doing here. Here's how Keahi sees it. I like the language and the chanting. I have favorites, but there's not one. There's so many, you know. There are those that give you chicken skin, and there are those that you, oh, man, I, mean, yeah, I got to remember that again. Oh, man, I don't like that one. You know. Kevelina, my that's one of my favorites what does it mean it's a welcome it's ava it's like a formal welcoming ceremony kind of a thing the kind of drinks ava to the point where he gets drunk and he lays down he tilts sideways first and then finally he lays down kani is one of the gods he's one of the most important gods Epuana Kamakani is another favorite one. Let's hear it. Epuana Kamakani la If it wasn't for Hula, I wouldn't be here today. So Hula mirrors what's inside of me. You get high. It's like a drug. It fills you up with joy. To me, Hula is a high-quality prayer. It cleanses you. It's just when you really get into hula, a holy life, and you love yourself. Hula is part of your life. People see that. Even if they don't know your hula dancer, there's something. They don't know what it is, but there's something. They find themselves, they love it, and it brings them to tears. So it hits an emotional chord somewhere. Uh -huh. Yeah. was produced by Stephanie Geyer-Stevens for Outer Voices. Script by Claire Schoen and Catherine Stifter. Recorded by Edie Levis. Mixed engineer Robin Wise of Sound Imagery. The production assistant was Maureen Dada. Research intern was Anukin Warda. Thanks to the Dada family, the Pacheco family, and the Takuda family for their hospitality in Gona. Special thanks to Roselle Bailey and to all the members of Kaini Na'a'au O Hawaii Ne Halau. Thanks also to Marsha Erickson and her ohana, as well as to the staff of Koke'i State Park. Thanks also go to Susan Davis, Kimo Campbell, Matthew Campbell, Mimi George, Walt Hayes, and Liz Lindy, and to my loving, patient, and supportive extended family. Major underwriting for the Hula Lesson was provided by the Ford Foundation. Additional funding from Kimo Campbell on behalf of the Thousand Friends of Hawaii, Hawaii Forest and Trail, Mark Feichert, and Edie Lavis. To purchase a copy of this program or to learn more about Outer Voices and other programs, please go to our website, www.outervoices.org. I'm Stephanie Geyer-Stevens. Thanks for listening.
sure to tune in next Friday for Cover to Cover Open Book for a hula lesson, part two. Thank you for listening to Cover to Cover. from loyal members keeps KPFA on the air from day to day and year to year. A bequest, which is a gift through your will or living trust, goes even farther. All planned gifts, including bequests, life income gifts, and gifts of retirement plans, secure KPFA's long-term financial health. I'm Lisa Rothman, executive producer of The Morning Show, asking you to consider making a planned gift to KPFA Radio and helping ensure voices of inspiration and dissent will be